You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we'll be talking to internationally acclaimed author, researcher, and educational consultant, Richard Gentry. As part of our Dyslexia Awareness Month series, Dr. Gentry will share with us his personal story of overcoming dyslexia, how dyslexia affects people, and how teachers can help students with dyslexia in the classroom. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. Today, we cannot wait to talk to our guests because we are going to dig in with a dyslexia expert. Most importantly, though, we're going to discuss practical ways educators can help students with dyslexia. Yeah, so we have a return guest. Um, Dr. Richard Gentry is back with us again. So super excited. And if you haven't listened to his last one with us, you definitely should, but um, we'll tell you a little bit about him. He is an internationally acclaimed author, researcher, and educational consultant. He's a former university professor, university reading center director, and of course, classroom teacher. He's the author of 17 books and the author of Zainer Blizzard's new integrated word study program, Spelling Connections, a word study approach. And one of our favorite books, his latest book is Brain Words, How the Science of Reading Informs Teaching, which we talked a bit about on our last podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can get it on Amazon (laughs) if you you don't already have it. Um, But yeah, we, we loved talking to him about that book. So we're excited to talk to him about a new topic today, which is dyslexia. Yeah, Richard, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Melissa and Lori. I'm just uh, delighted to, to be here. What a, what a wonderful treat. Yeah, well, this is going to be so much fun because we're going to start this podcast off in a way that we have never started a podcast <laughs> before, which is that you are going to give us a little survey, which I think could be called a self-test to see yeah. what we already know about dyslexia, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's five important questions and answers about dyslexia. And uh, I like to call it a self-test. Did you know that we know from cognitive psychology that self-testing is one of the best ways for us and for children, for everybody to, to learn? Uh, so if we want to learn about dyslexia, let's find out what we already know, facts according to science, and see how that jives with what the science says. So are you ready? Question number one, how many kids in your school are dyslexic? I'm going to give you some choices. A, one in five, or B, two in 100. What do you think is the best answer? I'm going to come back in a a few moments and go through all of these. So you're self-testing, so you don't have to share. Okay, I'm going to write it down, to be honest. Write it down. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) very good, very good. Uh, Are you ready for question number two, facts according to science? We're ready. Number two, good, good. Does dyslexia run in families? 
What's your notion about that? Are you ready? Question number three. Yes, Mel- Melissa more? is looking perplexed, but uh oh, <laughs> yeah, you're still you're right. still, thinking still thinking on that. It's one. all right. You can keep going. We're all right. We'll think and write. <laughs> Very good. Question number three: Are more boys dyslexic than girls? Ooh. Okay. That's a, that's a that's a little bit of a tough one. Question number four. Which statement is true? A, many dyslexics end up in prison. B, many dyslexics are successful in life. See, I told you this would be fun. Fun and difficult. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And question number five. Can dyslexia be cured? What would be your notion on that? So before we get into the answers, I thought uh, we should, first of all, think about what dyslexia is. And I wanted to share with you the part of the definition from the International Dyslexia Association. Uh, And it goes like this. Dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is neurological or neurobiological in origin. And it's interesting, you might not know this, but dyslexia happens to be the number one reading disability. Uh, It's characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and often by poor spelling and decoding abilities. And their secondary consequences, which may include problems in reading comprehension and reduced reading experience that can impede growth of vocabulary and background knowledge. So it's, it's really quite complex. Um, it generally uh, is most recognizable, uh, I would say, in children who have trouble learning to read and learning to spell. Uh, So kind of nice way to start out, I think, with a dyslexia uh, uh, definition. Does that kind of fit with what you were had in mind in terms of what you think that dyslexia is, your understanding of what it might be? Yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, I love having the very specific, like hearing specifically what it is, you know, not just having trouble reading, but uh, very specifically what, what's going on. And we're definitely going to get into that in our <laughs> podcast today. Yeah. So let's go back to those questions. Right. Number one, <laughs> how common is dyslexia? Um, how many kids in your school are dyslexic? And I gave you two options. One in five was letter A, or two in a hundred. So here you go. The answer is, well, 
Truthfully, nobody knows. <laughs> oh, uh, that was a trick question. <laughs> it's a, oh, I, I'm famous for trick <laughs> questions. <laughs> I have a feeling a few of them are trick questions. Yeah. I, I know. I know. I agree, Melissa. <laughs> definitely, definitely number four and maybe five. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Recent studies suggest that one in five people have neurologically based processing difficulty for learning to read. And often brain scientists uh, say it's about 10%. But part of the difficulty is determining the incidence of dyslexia is that it manifests itself in a continuum so that some cases are very, very mild. Some cases are uh, uh, medium. And some cases can be very, very severe. So uh, one thing for us to keep in mind is that it's likely that all teachers, all teachers, uh, no matter what their subject area or their grade level, it's likely that all teachers work with students who are, in fact, dyslexic in their classrooms. And, and, and we're going to get to some specific ideas of you know, how teachers should work with the, these kids. Question number two, are you ready? Ready. Ready. D does dyslexia run in families? I said and yes. Very good. You want to share your answer, Melissa? I, I wanted to say no. That was my gut instinct. Like, no, it doesn't. But then I, I was thinking about a lot of the, the parents we've had on the podcast that talked uh -huh. about their children with dyslexia. And they often talked about you know, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, their, their mom and dad, you know, they, they often yeah. talk about other people in the family. And I was like, oh, I, I bet it is. Yes. <laughs> well, if you, uh, you would have ended up exactly right. The answer is yes. Uh, and uh, it's genetic in origin. It's biologically and neurologically based. So familial occurrence is not surprising. And I'm glad you mentioned the brothers and sisters and parents, because if you are dyslexic, uh, it's likely that half of your brothers and sisters are too. Really? Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. Is that why in the definition it's a specific learning disability, neurobiological in origin? Is that why that's yes. specific in that definition? Yes. Yes. That's really interesting. Furthermore, if you are dyslexic, it's about a 50% chance that one of your parents is dyslexic. Wow. Uh, but often it does skip a generation. Oh, wow. So um, does it run in families? Absolutely. Uh, but those are some facts, according to science, <laughs> that uh, are quite interesting and uh, I think important for teachers to recognize. Yeah. Because if you have kids who you suspect have symptoms of dyslexia, one of the major things you want to do is talk with the family members and find out if this is something that uh, they're aware of that has occurred in their family. So here we go. Question number three. Are boys more likely to have dyslexia than girls? Anybody want to? <laughs> this one I'm not totally guess? sure on, but I said yes. I thought they might be more likely to be diagnosed because of other factors that we sometimes pair with dyslexia. I was going to say, Lori, I had that same thought, but then I also thought they might be 
less likely to be diagnosed because because they would get diagnosed with the other things like yeah, yeah. just like oh that's just a behavior issue or things like that <laughs> oh excellent yeah. excellent well the answer is yes oh all um, right uh and, you know, for science, it's interesting because, uh, you know, science continues to bring in new information. Recent studies debunk a popular myth that the numbers are equal. You know, about 10 years ago, I think folks were thinking, according to science, that uh, uh, the numbers were equal. But the latest science does report that dyslexia is more common in boys. Do you know a reason and, for that? Do you, do you know the reasoning or like why that happens? Like, why is it more common in boys? I I can't. Um, if you don't know, it's okay. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't explain why. That's okay. I was just curious. Um, it's it's very very complex. But that's a great question. That's a good research yeah, question. I'll, maybe I'll maybe up. some researchers are going to be listening in and they're going to do the research and find out uh, find find out why. Um, and let's see, what about that prison question, question number four? Which statement is true? Letter A, uh, a many, dyslexic in, many dyslexics end up in prison, or B, many dyslexics are successful in life? Mm, I feel like I Melissa, I, hold on, I think we should say our answer at the same time, Melissa, ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Both. Both. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My goodness. What, you know what? You're exactly right. <laughs> See, you tried to trick us again. Uh, I did. Two things I can did. be true. That's, that's Lori's well, mantra. It's my mantra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And you're way too clever for me. So. <laughs> but that's, that, that's great. Yes. Uh, uh, question number five. Can dyslexia be cured? So... I said not cured. Like, I don't I don't think that there's like a, you know, you take a magic pill and all of a sudden everything's fine. But I feel like there's probably ways to learn how to overcome some of the struggles that come along with it. Agree. I feel like it's not a, quote, disease that leaves your body, right? Like... <laughs> Right. Like everything's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's not gone. It's not ever gone. Genetically, it's always there. But I do think we can rewire the brain so that people with dyslexia can read can effectively and yeah. efficiently and learn and spell and decode and be functioning literacy adults and students. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a, what a great uh, response from both of you. Um, the answer, can it be cured, is definitely no. It's genetic. However, both genetic and environmental factors play a role. And um, one of the reasons that teachers really need to understand uh, dyslexia is because early intervention is a major goal. And the earlier we find that kids are uh, uh, dealing with uh, learning disability like dyslexia uh, and intervene, the more like it's uh, the more likely we are able to get kids on the right track and help kids overcome dyslexia. So just for fun, are you ready for this? I threw in a bonus question, oh, number six. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, number six, bonus question. 
Do people with dyslexia see words backwards? Ooh. What do you think about that one? I don't think so. Dude. I think that's a myth. Oh, I was going to say yes. Oh, well, I'm not sure, though, then. now that you said no. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine our listeners right now, Richard, just taking this, saying it out loud. <laughs> taking this right along with us. I, I was going to say I yes. I hope so. That, no. that was the intent. That's the intent. And, you know, you're doing a great job because you're absolutely uh, uh, correct uh, the answer is probably not, but the science on this issue is kind of muddled. Okay. Most, yeah, <laughs> most recent studies uh, associate dyslexia's causal factors with early difficulties in letter sound processing. We hear a lot about phonological uh, processing deficits, and often with something called RAN or automatic rapid naming. Uh, while dyslexic children don't see words backwards, after grade two, it may be a red flag if they tend to write words backwards. So that's why uh, I said that, because I was thinking about the writing, and then I was thinking, well, yes. maybe if they're writing it backwards, maybe then they're reading it in their brain backwards, because I think writing is the way that they are you know, thinking. In their, that's what's, it's an expression of what's going on inside their, their brain. Um, yeah. That's what made me say that, but I'm so glad that you debunked that for me. Absolutely, absolutely. Fun. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we should move along. Why don't we think about some of the major symptoms oh, yeah. of dyslexia? This is so helpful, especially because I feel like we did not get this in our teaching yes. uh, prep <laughs> program. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with an expert. Well, you know, I am an expert on dyslexia, and I can say that because I'm dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think a I lot of people would be surprised about because, I mean, you are like the spelling guy. <laughs> exactly. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. It's very uncanny. You know, some teachers call me the guru of spelling. But um, uh, uh, it's been a long journey, and uh, one of the reasons that uh, I've been so focused all my career on the importance of spelling for reading is because of my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens a lot uh, with folks who have disabilities. Um, it's important to know the classic symptoms. But as teachers and educators, we need to recognize that what we're talking about are symptoms that we see and not a diagnosis. Because dyslexia is neurological, uh, we would need to refer to a medical specialist or a trained psychologist uh, for a, an official diagnosis. Educators really are not equipped to diagnose neurological processing disorders. So, uh, but we can certainly, uh, uh, it's important that we know the uh, classic warning signs because we're probably uh, some of the best folks to f see early on these signs with kids in the classroom. So I thought that we would look at three different categories. First of all, classic warning signs for school-age uh, children. No, classic warning signs rather in um, early childhood. And these include things like speech delay, 
speech delay, uh, language isn't occurring as it should, receptive language uh, often is fine, uh, that is, kids can understand language, but expressive language is sometimes delayed. It's difficult for them mm -hmm. to express themselves in language. Now, keep in mind that um, uh, no two dyslexics are alike, and no kid is going to have all of these symptoms. Right. But if we see a pattern, or if you're a teacher and you're thinking about a particular kid, uh, think about these symptoms that I'm going to share with you. And if you see a pattern uh, of them uh, lining up together, that might be a red flag. Richard, Another that's classic what I keep thinking about is, like you said earlier, it's a continuum. So I was yes. thinking if I was a teacher and I was thinking about your, the signs that you're sharing, I would be thinking about that continuum idea that it's not all going to line up perfectly with every single student, every single time that we're people and the human element makes it a continuum. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Another warning sign is saying sounds in the wrong sequence. Uh, mm -hmm. Odd pronunciations. I don't know if you um, have heard me, uh, you know, kind of misarticulate uh, a, a couple of words already because <laughs> I certainly continue to do that. But what we're talking about are odd pronunciations like paschetti for spaghetti or aminol mm -hmm. for animal. Uh, one a, a word that I often myself still have difficulty with is aluminum. And oh. what I'll do is I'll switch the beginning sounds of the last two syllables. And uh, you often, or I, you know, for a lot of my life, I, I pronounce that word as alunimum instead of minum. I said nimum. Mm. So, um, uh, another sign, uh, word retrieval problems, difficulty finding the word that they want to use. Uh, you might hear kids say, oh, you know that thingy, uh, just can't bring that word out. Trouble with rhyming words, trouble with phonemic awareness, trouble with invented spelling. And some of these uh, s signals can begin as early as preschool and kindergarten, the first part of kindergarten. Uh, and certainly a history, as we mentioned, of family members with reading problems. Mm -hmm. So what about classic warning signs for school-age children? Some of these, uh, uh, it probably never occurred to you that they may uh, be symptoms of dyslexia, but one of the things is difficulty memorizing arbitrary sequences. Things like days of the week or months of the year. Mm. Um, That's helpful. Spelling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we just had a parent on that was talking about that, right? That they they could say the letters in order. They could say the days of the week in order. But if you took it out of the sequence, it was like they had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, spelling is so important because spelling, in fact, is kind of like a uh, uh, you're sequencing the letters <laughs> yeah and and you know it's it's a, a gift to to see what's going on in the mind oh, yeah. of the child i mean you know we hear so much about decoding and phonics but spelling is really a a, a deeper level of uh phonics 
and uh, it's easier to uh, to read a word than it is to spell a word. And so the, what I was just trying to say, I see I couldn't retrieve that word. Um, <laughs> dyslexia is uh, kind of, I'm, I'm sorry, spelling is kind of a window into the mind. And sure. it helps us know how, you know, what the child knows about language and literacy and what we need to teach. One of the things, you know, I, I, I blog for psychology today and have for a number of years and I often hear from parents and they send me uh, samples of their children's writing, and uh, and I've, you know I've done this uh, from parents uh, you know all over the the world really. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that uh, often I'll have fourth graders, and sometimes they they're very excellent readers, but their writing and spelling is really way behind their readers. Uh, and uh, I even see sometimes uh, a classic warning sign, children have difficulty spelling their own name. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I can think of one case study that, uh, and I do all this uh, pro bono, but one case study uh, with parents that I've followed for quite a number of years now, and their uh, uh, fourth grade son was reading above grade level, brilliant kid. Um, his writing was amazing, but his spelling was atrocious. And they'd send me in uh, uh, samples and, you know, on one of eight samples, he had misspelled one of his name on one of those. But other things like learning their phone number, learning names of the letters, learning sounds of the letters, multiplication tables. Sometimes kids who have dyslexia have a really difficult time. Sometimes they're gifted in math. So again, uh, these are sometimes very surprising, but uh, co-occurring symptoms. How to tie their shoe. Um, some kids uh, seven or eight or later. Another symptom, issues with dominance, uh, right-handed or left-handed. Normally, kids uh, you probably... Uh, you could tell if they're right-handed or left-handed around four years of age with dyslexic kids, it can be uh, seven, eight, or nine years of age. But uh, it's interesting. Can you think of uh, uh, sometimes dyslexic kids have mixed dominance? And can you think of a way that might be an asset? They, they can do this. You know, they can do something just as easily left-handed as they can right-handed. I would love to do that. <laughs> Definitely in yeah. sports, That's though. Huge exactly. Sports. I know. Sports, That's nice um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, being an architect or an artist, uh, yeah. or artist yeah. uh, it, it can kind of be a gift. Difficulty with written expression, slow reading rate um, is one of the ones that... Uh, Often, uh, dyslexic kids uh, deal with poor handwriting skills, oh, yeah. poor test-taking skills, trouble spelling, and this is an interesting difficulty reading musical notes from a score. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's so it's 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 really complex, and um, there's so much to to uh, that makes it interesting, uh, but it's so important that we recognize some of these, I think. And yeah. 
What I'm, about class? Oh, yes. sorry. I'm just wondering. I, I, I'm blown away by some of these. I, I know, like, <laughs> like for example, tying sh- the sh- tying your shoes. You know, not mem- not being able to remember your phone number or the alphabet. Those are things that I'm like, oh, really? Okay. All right. I need to like put these in my long term memory and refer to your blog posts in the future because they're th- they're definitely not anything that I would have thought of you know, off the cuff, um, when we think about dyslexia and thinking about symptoms of, or ways that we can access, you know, if the, if a child is dyslexic or not, or just like red flags, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And these aren't all mine. I didn't come up with all these. I wish I could <laughs> claim that. But uh, one of the f- folks who has been very important in helping understand this is Susan Barton. And she does have a, a website. And, um, you know, I, I totally rec- uh, recommend that, that website. Okay. But let's look at classic warning, warning signs uh, for young and older adults. Uh, one of the signs, uh, symptoms is struggling with academics in school, of course. But interestingly, some kids who are dyslexic are, are really high achievers in school, and they may compensate by working harder, uh, grit and determination. And, you know, that, uh, those aren't bad traits to have at all. <laughs> Uh, lifelong struggling with spelling uh, for young and older adults, a slow reading rate, poor test-taking skills, uh, difficulty with written expression sometimes, fear of reading out loud. Uh, if you're a fourth grader and you're dyslexic, uh, you know, you might really feel uh, embarrassed and uh, you might really feel st- stupid and you are terrified when the teacher calls on you to Richard, I read was, out loud. I was in like the 99th percentile of readers and I was terrified to read out loud. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I can only imagine if I was a struggling reader in any way, what that would feel like. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, you know, we, we really, if we recognize these symptoms, you know, we can have em- more empathy and, mm-hmm. and be more helpful for these kids uh, difficulty with foreign languages. I'll tell you a little bit about that in terms of my uh, personal experience. Um, phonological awareness, trouble, uh, uh, but not only tr- phonological awareness, but trouble with background noise. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that can be very important in a classroom. For, classroom. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and we're going to think of some ways to, to help out with that. Uh, trouble with left and right, bad with driving directions, mm. uh, and uh, bad sense of directionality. Uh, for example, that, that, this is one of my pet peeves. Uh, I'm in a hotel or at a conference center or in a school, and uh, I get off an elevator in the hotel, and I, ha- I can never remember which way to go, you know, to get back <laughs> right. to my room, left or right, or, or in a conference center. Uh, it, it's, it's really, uh, it, it can really be uh, uh, disconcerting. I'm going to make and, up a song oh, for you. That's what I do for, my, for myself when I travel. I make up a little song. 
Oh. I remember. We'll talk what? offline. I'll sing to you offline. Uh, oh, you sure you don't want to hear that? I think everybody would love it. Well, okay, so here's what I do. I take a nursery rhyme or a familiar tune, and then uh-huh. I'll put in where, like, go left, go right, or, like, I'll use the landmarks in the hotel or the space to remind myself, like, you know, up the elevator, floor three, and then, but like sing it to the tune of like Twinkle Twinkle or something just in my head, not out loud, but it's really helpful. And it helps my daughter too. Cause she, her memory is like mine. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I'm going to use that okay. myself. All right. oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, I wondered if you wanted to hear a little about my personal story. Yes. I've claimed to oh my be gosh, an expert on dyslexia. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it kind of starts out like this. Um, when I was a sophomore uh, in college at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, I was, it was the end of the uh, semester, and I was in this Shakespeare course, and we had been required to read all of Shakespeare's plays. And uh, uh, you know, at the end of the story, I'll tell you how I managed to, to do that, but it was quite a challenge for me, because I have such a slow reading, uh, such a slow reading rate. But the uh, professor, there were 70, there's a big section, 79 kids in the section. He gave out 78 exams and said, uh, Mr. Gentry, I want to see you in my office. Yeah, it sent ice splints up my spine. Uh, I, you know, I, I felt I had really worked hard, and I uh, felt like I did very well on that test. And I had never, in uh, 13 years of school, never cheated on the test. So I knew that wasn't the issue. And uh, uh, so I'm very uncomfortable when I sit down in this hard oak chair next to his desk, and he pulls out my exam, exam and he says, Mr. Gentry... Uh, you are one of seven students, only seven, who made an A in this course. He said, the problem, and he didn't know me from beans out of that section. (laughs) (laughs) The problem, he says, is your spelling. And he showed me example after example after example of a misspelled word that would have embarrassed a fifth grader that I'd written in in class. And at the end of that, he said, "Uh, Mr. Gentry, anyone who is smart as you are who spells like this, is just plain lazy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. That is not what I thought you were going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I knew I wasn't a lazy speller because I have a personal record of 252 100s on the Friday spelling. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother drilled, and every Thursday night, and I would memorize the words on the list, and make a hundred on Friday, and uh, that is not uh, lazy. Kn- not lazy at it's all. It's not <laughs> lazy. The problem was that you know three weeks later, I didn't have those spellings in long-term memory. Right. I couldn't see those spellings in the dictionary in my uh, mind. When I was in seventh grade, I was in a little rural school in Tobacco Road, North Carolina. And when I was in seventh grade, there was a county spelling bee. And uh, they gave it a list of something like 1,800 words, and I'd memorized those words. I beat the eighth graders in my school, went to the county bee, and came in third place. Wow. And it came out in the local Courier Times 
uh, uh, the, the uh, pictures of the three winners of the county spelling bee. And by the time that came out, my grandmother laughed because she knew by the time it came out, I could only spell about a third of the words on. <laughs> yeah, you had forgotten. On, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not they stored. weren't in. It's, it's yeah, exactly. And they weren't in long term memory. Can I make a and, quick connection to sight words here? Yeah. Like yeah. when we ask students to memorize sight words, which we know is not the best way to teach. Right. That Correct. is very equivalent to me to memorizing spelling words, like spelling Absolutely. lists. It's, there's yeah. so many similarities there that just strike me, especially as you're talking about this right now and you're being very honest and saying, I didn't remember. And I will be very honest, too, and say I had Friday spelling tests. I don't remember you know, how to spell those words, although I did map the words to my long-term memory because I mapped the sounds to the letters and yeah. had that. It, yeah, that was different. And and that's that's the secret with a uh, uh, science of reading research based modern spelling book. Uh, instead of just assigning the words and have you know parents drive parents crazy on Thursday night because they're calling out the words, uh, you, you have to go through a process of using the words mm-hmm. uh, through the week to get those in a, a number of different uh, uh, evidence based ways to get those words into long-term memory. And if kids are dyslexic, they have, uh, you know, one of the, the things we understand about the architecture of the reading brain with dyslexics, with many dyslexics, is they um, have difficulty having a, a representation of spelling in, in their brain, that uh, they can't see the spelling in their mind. You're not aware that you have this metaphorical dictionary in your brain and that, that if you're an excellent reader, you're like and an excellent speller, that you use that spelling for uh, reading and then connect to your spoken language, which leads to comprehension. If you've heard of the uh, famous uh, reading rope and the simple view of reading, this all fits in well with, with that uh, uh, very powerful theory of reading. Yeah. Richard, I know I don't want to like take you off on a left turn at all, but I, I'm just wondering really quickly if you might want to sh- tell us a bit about the spelling connections, the word study approach. Is that that integrated approach that you just talked about? Yes. Okay. Well, first, first of all, let me say that uh, we now know that uh, uh, spelling is a very, very powerful word study, and uh, what I've done, you know, over 40 years as a spokesperson for spelling and developing spelling curriculum for schools, having recognized early on that uh, it's essential uh, and and connected with reading and reading comprehension, the notion that, uh, uh, and Louisa Motes uh, is very big on spelling books, and she, and the notion that kids need about 20 minutes a day of uh, integrated word study for spelling. And so that's what I did with the Spelling Connections uh, program. I tried to, uh, you know, stay up on the research and um, tried to uh, uh, make uh, make it easy for teachers. Uh, Teachers are struggling right now to teach spelling. They're going to the Internet, and there's no consistency. Uh, 
Uh, they know that uh, most teachers understand that spelling is important, but they don't have resources. Too many, in too many schools, they don't have good resources. Because with, uh, frankly, with whole language and balanced literacy, uh, uh, spelling was kind of uh, thrown out of the curriculum. We were told in that theory that we didn't need to teach uh, spelling uh, and that spelling books were bad essentially. Uh, they're a waste of time. Spend money on children's literature. Uh, well, you know, of course, spend money on children's literature, but you've got to teach automatic word recognition, and spelling is a key part of that. And so what I've tried to do in my work with uh, uh, spelling books is uh, help teachers save time instead of, uh, I, I call it, integrated, uh, integrating phonological awareness, uh, integrating uh, uh, vocabulary learning, integrating uh, sight word recognition by not, you know, not by guessing, but by looking at the letters. The whole goal is to get them into long-term memory in that, you know, dictionary in the brain. So thank you for <laughs> allowing me to, uh, to mention that. But uh, it seems that spelling continues to get short shrift, uh, and, but there are modern spelling uh, curricula out there that uh, are affordable, uh, doable, and uh, I just think teachers need to be on the uh, uh, forefront in bringing those materials into the classroom. Uh, it's, you know, it's not very uh, congenial for teachers to try to break all of those integrated uh, things like grammar and phonological awareness and sight word uh, uh, recognition and vocabulary work into separate uh, subjects. Uh, it's so much more powerful if they're integrated into, and, and, and that's what we do. That's what we do in a modern spelling, a science reading spelling book. We integrate those. Richard, I'm so curious about, um, you know, I, your, your story <laughs> uh, with, the, with that professor and thinking about now today, you're an author of, what would he say, 17 books and, <laughs> and a curriculum and blog posts all the time. Um, like, how does dyslexia still play a part in your life today, even though, I mean, I'm sure you've worked very hard to learn as much as you can about what, <laughs> how, to, how to overcome it? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, let me mention some of those classic uh, warning signs and, and, uh, that we just talked about and, and, and tell you how they uh, affected me. We said one of them was struggling with academics in school. You know, I <clears throat> was uh, always an A student. Uh, my mom taught me to read in first grade and uh, uh, I, you know, was uh, very driven, uh, but I think there's no question in my mind, I compensated simply by working harder. And I, you know, I was uh, a top-notch student all the way through college and graduate school. But uh, a lot of it was resilience and grit and working hard. Uh, and uh, for example, when I was in that Shakespeare course, I went to the library, and I checked out Shakespeare's plays uh, on tape, and I read all of the plays. But 
what happened is with when I listened to the plays on tape, and there were sound effects like when an army came marching in. Uh, you know, I could I could hear the trumpets, mm -hmm. and so I could visualize and comprehend what, what was going on. Uh, so um, uh, I do have life. I've had lifelong struggles with spelling. I continue to. I I can't uh, send anything out public. Uh, without having it checked by an editor. <laughs> uh, and, you know, spell check uh, sometimes is stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> we'll make, uh, so, I, you know, I've always, uh, I love editors. I've always depended on editors. I, have, I continue to have a very slow reading rate. Uh, and uh, as someone uh, who is an academic, you know, that's certainly... Uh, challenging. Uh, and, you know, I simply can't read as many books or as fast as, as a lot of other people can. I don't have poor test-taking skills. I have really excellent test-taking skills, but the problem is the timing. Yeah. If tests are timed, then you know, I'm likely not to, uh, to finish. I don't have difficulty with written expression. In fact, I love writing. And uh, you know, it's kind of a one of my blessings. I think I don't have fear of reading out loud, uh, uh, but when I if if you see me at a conference, you'll see that I have a lot of uh, prep work. You know, I, I I use a PowerPoint, and I you know I, I use those slides to help me, uh, and I can you know I can read out loud with. Uh, very well. Difficulty with foreign languages. I had a very interesting, kind of interesting experience with that, in the sense that um, uh, you know, all a student uh, in high school, we were required to do French. Uh, I didn't so much struggle with French, but it didn't come easily, and and um, you know, I'd made A's in French in uh, two years of co of high school, and then. I went to college, and uh, the only C I ever made in my life was <laughs> in French <laughs> in college, and uh, I, I failed the midterm, and I had to really struggle to bring that, uh, bring that up to a C. And then when I, I got to graduate school at the University of Virginia, uh, I wanted to be in the Ph.D. program, and they required... Uh, at that time, uh, they're very forward-thinking. There, uh, they required two foreign languages, oh. and you know, I knew that there's just no way. <laughs> uh, so what they did, they accommodated for even back then. This is like you know, uh, quite a few <laughs> decades ago. They uh, allowed me to substitute um, st statistics for. One of the languages, and I hired a a, a French speaking a, a tutor, mm -hmm. and and just worked for six weeks with that tutor, just enough to pass the the uh, French test that was required. So uh, uh, foreign languages, and you know it makes sense because uh, they have a different uh, orthographic or spelling system. Uh, a different sound system for matching letters to sounds, so it's understandable. Uh, the best way for someone who struggles, it's learning disabled like I was, uh, dyslexic, 
the best way is to go immerse oneself in the language. You know, just go, you know, I wish I could go live in France. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. I think you're yeah. speaking to that integrated approach. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then that bad sense of directionality. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, you know, I live on uh, the corner. Uh, I live on this, uh, Government Street on the corner of Government and West. Okay. The problem is I'm in this... Uh, uh, area where West Street is in a little area called Flow Claire and it's really east. I mean West Street <laughs> oh, geez. when it, it, it sounds it's like going Washington DC to me. Yeah. <laughs> east West Street. <laughs> exactly. Still sometimes if I'm you know if I'm get to the end of West Street, I have to stop and think if I'm going downtown, I need to turn right. If I'm going out to the mall <laughs> or the airport, I need to turn left. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm one of those guys who always gets lost. <laughs> I'm going to use that little sound, a little song trick. That, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a song trick. you gave us. Yeah. Or even yeah, a little mnemonic device. I love those, too. Little yeah. Mnemonics. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, but uh, it's... You know, not unusual for some people who are dyslexic like myself to become experts in their area of disability. And I do attribute dyslexia to helping me uh, become a leading authority on spelling and dyslexia and a 40-plus year as a researcher and supporter of spelling books. Um, and without dyslexia, I probably wouldn't have co-authored um, Brain Words, uh, the Brain Words book with uh, a, you know, very accomplished reading, Canadian reading scientist, Jean Wallet, And I probably would never have had a, a blog, an education blog on, on uh, psychology today. So, you know, I, I just feel really blessed uh, in my career and as a person. And, uh, and I just hope one of my missions in life is to uh, uh, help. I think one, the most important thing we teach in school is teaching kids to read. Uh, it impacts everything else in their life, in their career, and gives, opens so many doors. And right now, particularly children who are in vulnerable populations, often children who are poor, children, who, uh, children of color, um, who's, uh, you know, brown kids and uh, African-American kids who are in schools where uh, they are... Uh, a higher percentage of failing schools. Uh, I, you know, I just think uh, in children with learning disabilities, I, you know, my, my uh, uh, mission in life is to uh, teach those kids to read. And I, I think there's uh, uh, really uh, no better blessing than to, to think of it like that. Well, I love that. I'm actually wondering if we could give teachers some practical advice or tips if they have students in front of them who either have, diag uh, have been diagnosed with dyslexia or maybe are presenting with some of these, uh, I don't know if we should say symptoms or um, signals sure. of dyslexia and how they can help them. I, I think that's so important. Uh, let's look first just in a general overview. How can schools help children with dyslexia? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that comes to mind, I've already mentioned it, intervene early. Uh, teach phonics. 
linked to phonemic awareness. Um, teach spelling explicitly. Uh, spelling and brain words ignite the reading brain. Uh, teach writing, uh, beginning, uh, begin teaching handwriting in preschool and kindergarten, uh, encouraging kids to use invented spelling. One of the things I would say is teach handwriting, including manuscript for beginners and cursive beginning in second grade. Handwriting is a proven language learning skill. I was gonna say, I feel like I've been hearing a lot more about handwriting. Yeah, recently. yeah, we need to bring it back. Yeah. It's another thing that um, kind of s- slipped through the cracks. Yeah, as we but had technology, we now, it kind of, it's like. Yeah, but we now know that uh, teaching handwriting helps kids learn to read. Yeah. And with kids who are dyslexic, uh, many kids who are dyslexic will do better with cursive uh, than with manuscript. A lot of times they, yeah. Uh, I think it's very important that we embrace repetition because the brain loves repetition for almost every skill. And that's that's why, you know, in that that sequence of spelling, you have to, you know, Five days a week, 20 minutes a day, you know, a repetition of different kinds of work with, a, um, uh, with those words. And uh, certainly never give up on children with dyslexia. Uh, so I, did, I do have, and we might want to share this with our audience, a psycholo- uh, Psychology Today post on seven ways to accommodate children with dyslexia in the uh, classroom. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to run through them just quickly for you. Um, The first one, allow children who may have dyslexia to demonstrate their competence. You know, uh, they may need more time on that test or another way of showing how uh, they have uh, mastered uh, the knowledge that is been part of their instruction. Here's a, uh, here's a good one. It's just uh, something every teacher can do. Change your seating arrangement to address students' difficulty with organizing or managing time or following teachers' directions or filtering, filtering out background noise. These are things that often co-occur. And it's just so easy, just that kid who is having difficulty following the teacher's directions or filtering out background noise because they're sitting in the back, just move them right up there so they are uh, closer. Uh, that can, simple thing that can, can really be effective. Uh, use a research-based spelling curriculum as a dyslexia-specific intervention. If you're using, if you're doing a, a spelling book, uh, if you're using a spelling book, you are going to early on, uh, you know, beginning in first grade, uh, be able to recognize kids who are on track with, you know, that uh, lesson, uh, that work with spelling, or kids who are uh, having having difficulty. Yeah, and. Uh, one of, the th- one of the things about spelling as a dyslexic-specific intervention, I often like to ask teachers, how many words should kids be able to recognize automatically at the end of first grade? And um, I won't 
ask you to say out loud what you're thinking. But when I go across the country and ask this question, often I get like, uh, how many words should kids be able to, how many brain words at the end of first grade? Uh, people will often come up with like 100. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the answer, according to science, is 300 plus. Kids yeah. who, by the end of first grade, if they've been on a spelling book uh, in first grade, they're, they're 30 weeks uh, and, uh, you know, 10 uh, words learned each lesson or 10 new words or more. That's going to be 300 plus words. And they're brain words, that words they can uh, sp spell automatically. And if you can spell a word, you can read it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think if, it's important could, to say like they're brain words, not sight words, which means that we have taught the uh, all the sounds in the words. We're not teaching them to memorize the whole word and then read the whole word. We're teaching the breakdown of the sounds and letters in the word and patterns and patterns. And, yes. Thank and, you. And, and, and syllable types. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to. Uh, Again, teach handwriting, including manuscript for beginners and cursive beginning in second grade. Very important to expect to give kids with dyslexia more help with proofreading in school. You know, if you're a fourth grade teacher, you expect kids to proofread. But if you have kids who are dyslexic, you become their editor. And, you, uh, you know, I, I used to, uh, when I talk with kids, and say, you know, you're just like Einstein, Einstein. Uh, was brilliant, but he had uh, he he is said to have had dyslexia, and so this year I'm going to be your editor. Uh, I can't be ever. I'm not going to be every fourth grader's editor, but I'm going to be <laughs> your editor. And it teaches them a habit: the habit of coming uh, and getting help before they uh, send something out, and that that can be very important for kids. A habit for kids, you know. But by the time they get in college, uh, in high school, and uh, there's, you know, if they're applying for uh, a job or a, uh, uh, a college, it's so important that those uh, uh, I, I applications that. Yeah. be proofread yeah. and correct spelling. Because the first thing that college uh, uh, admissions folks do is throw out any application that comes in with misspelled words. Yeah, but it I does really lift up their strengths and then supports where they need support. I think that is such a great approach. And I think it teaches students in general, you know, you could reach outreach this to your whole class. What, what do you feel like you do well? Where do you feel like you might need a little more help? And how can I support you in that place where you need more help? And I... I love that. I think that really does solidify the connection of the teacher as someone who's supporting a student with dyslexia in where their strengths are and where their their areas of support are needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you just articulate that eloquently. Mm -hmm. uh, Can I exactly. ask you a quick question about something you said before, though? Sure. I don't think I... So when we were talking about the spelling list and we said you know, they need to know like patterns and you had added syllable types. I don't think I know all the syllable types, but I feel like I'm a pretty excellent speller. Yeah. Um, uh, like what, you, what's going you on? Reckon, <laughs> you reckon, you reckon, whether you may not know the names of them, but you recognize those patterns. Got it. Okay. So I recognize the patterns, but I can't necessarily name right. them and that's fine. 
Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, but but that's no a true statement. Like, I would agree with that one hundred percent. Because sometimes yeah. I can't articulate to my daughter why things are, but I'll say like this is a pattern you might see, and to me that's enough to say that, and she gets that. But I don't need to name like this is like an art controlled valve. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Open, cl- open, closed syllables. Yeah. I'm and, I'm just yeah, saying the things the that I, I know. Syllable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, Thank you. I know, uh, that, that, I know that was a sidebar, but I was like so curious. And while I have an expert here, I'm just going to ask you, you know. <laughs> uh, well, you definitely know them. You may not know, you know, that it's a uh, consonant L-E, uh, but it's, you know, you, you recognize those patterns right. and, yeah. and use them all the time. That's yeah. cool to know. I think that's cool for listeners to know. Thank you. Finally, you know, I think it's so important to... Uh, do uh, to, to remember to make accommodations for ki- kids. Um, be an advocate for all students who struggle with dyslexia. And, and again, Lori and Melissa, you've kind of expressed that throughout our session today. Um, be uh, we need to have compassion for students who are struggling. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not mistaking dyslexia as a sign of inferior intelligence or, or laziness. laziness. That one struck home to me. And recognize that students with dyslexia also often have strengths. Some experts even suggest that uh, dyslexics are often gifted and have special talents, such as thinking outside the box, being creative, uh, entrepreneurial, artistic, and athletic. so all of those things, all of those things can co-occur with, with dyslexia. Many things can be true. Yes. <laughs> and it looks different for every person. I think that's yes. like, I'm it's complex really taking and that away different. today. Yeah. 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 It, it's, I'm, I'm stuck on that continuum idea. I'm so grateful that you shared that up front because that's what I keep thinking of. You know, that continuum of how... Yeah, mild, moderate, mm-hmm. severe. Yeah, yep. yeah. absolutely. I think so often we want to say it's, it, you know, look for these five things, and if they have all five of them, then they are dyslexic. Or if they don't, they are not. <laughs> and it, it's, <laughs> absolutely. It's harder to Doesn't live in that, that, that gray area, but it's, you <laughs> yep. know, we have yep. to. Yeah. Well, you made this so much fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my gosh, yes. Thank you so much. We've learned so much. Yeah. Thank Rick- you for being here. Richard, I'm, since the last time you've been on, we we started a new ending. Do you have a couple minutes to answer some oh, quick absolutely. questions with us? They're just fun ones. Sure, sure. <laughs> right, these are really fun, quick response questions. Yeah. Quick response, mm-hmm. whatever comes to your mind, no pressure. Okay. <laughs> so first question is, what do you love to read? I love to read um, history. I'm a big history buff. I uh, live in a historic home in uh Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and, and I have some outside reading. It, you know, one of the th- problems with me is that I have to be very selective about what I choose to read because I have such a slow reading rate and there's so much, um, there's, there's so much uh, uh, academic reading that, that I have to do. So I'm very selective. When I go to, I always buy my books. I don't check up books out at the mm-hmm. library because I have to keep them mm-hmm. and, you know, come back, you know, 10 years later and, and reread them. But uh, I'm hearing um, so many yeah. strategies. You're yeah. prioritizing. 
A recent uh, novel that's now a movie, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, yeah. That's um, a good one. You know, I, I, it's set in uh, the marshland of uh, North, eastern North Carolina, the coast of North Carolina, but it's so much like the uh, Delta, uh, Tinsaw Gulf Delta here in Mobile Bay. Um, and uh, so I also enjoy reading like that. It kind of connects with uh, nature and my love for nature. And uh, well, I, I have another. I have the next question for you, and uh-huh. I was wondering, what do you love to watch? Well, I love to watch historical fiction. <laughs> I had a feeling it would be connected, and I was trying not to say it beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm very uh, interested in um, nature and birds, and you know, I, I have coffee every day uh, on my in my back uh, uh, garden and uh, watch the hummingbirds come. So, uh, uh, love watching things uh, like that. Uh, a couple of those uh, series on TV. Uh, I don't know if I should share that or not. <laughs> I'm watching Yellowstone right now. It's it's it's. Uh, I've heard good things uh, it's about ter- that. <laughs> it's terribly violent. I know. I think I I'm, I got a couple episodes in, and then I saw them kill a, an animal of sorts, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can. Keep yeah, going. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, they, you know, they're gonna uh, murder, kill something, and murder something every, every, every episode. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to decide if I'm going to stick, Keep going. stick that one out. <laughs> Can I tell you that I went to Yellowstone this summer and they were, we did a little horseback riding uh, excursion and the guy who led the ride was telling us that people come and do these rides and come to Yellowstone and think that the show is actually real and happening now. And they'll, oh my goodness. And they'll be gosh. asking things. We were cracking up. I'm like, oh my gosh, no way. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I've been to Yellowstone. It's, it's been, uh, you know, 60 years ago when I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> but uh, what a beautiful experience yeah. you, you must have had. Yeah, it was gorgeous. And also, yeah. that was like by far the funniest part. <laughs> <laughs> How fun. Uh, All right. Let's see if the next one's connected to you. What do you love to listen to? Well, I love to listen to jazz, you know, uh, and classical uh, and country music. uh, But don't ask me the names of the artists or the names (laughs) of the songs because I'm dyslexic and I wouldn't be able to retrieve those for you. But, uh, yeah, I have... uh, 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 very kind of eclectic. Uh, all kinds of music I like. All right, final question. Why do you do what you love for education or for literacy? I might have already answered that one. I just <laughs> have this passion for, uh, you know, my, I think my calling uh, on earth is to teach children to read. And uh, that's... Uh, I'm passionate about it. And, uh, yeah, I continue to um, just get great joy 
if I can, you know, if my life anyway can have the impact on children that is, uh, comes through teaching children to read, which is incredible, uh, I would have lived a good life. Thank you so much. We loved talking to you again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have an open invite anytime. anytime. This is so nice. If you just want to have coffee on like a Tuesday, you let us know that too. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Um, uh, you know, the two of you uh, and your, uh, your audience are having such incredible impact and uh, uh, just Keep up the good work. And, you know, we're so, I'm so proud to be associated with teachers. Uh, teachers are uh, just, you know, some of the most uh, important people on earth. And sure. uh, uh, I, I think, you know, you've got, you've got a great group that you're uh, <laughs> growing and having incredible impact on. So keep up the good work. Well, thank you. You too. We'll keep sharing in that incredible group. We'll keep sharing all your blog posts and your books and everything, all the good work that you've done. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees.